What's up, everyone? Ron Ray hanging out in the war room, and we have some more spy talk. Well, a little bit of spy talk. We have on Jack Barsky, but first, let's thank our sponsor, which is Bluehost once again. Um, all the show notes for this podcast are at ronraysenior.com, so go check out that there, and while you're there, get your own domain, ronraysenior.com slash hosting. That's ronraysr.com slash hosting. If you do, Send me a screenshot via email, and we will get your site. We'll get free publicity on this podcast. Pretty cool, huh? Okay, Jack Barsky. If you've heard of him, then you know who he is. If not, it's an, he's an interesting dude. Jack Barsky's life marks him as one of a kind. He was born in Germany, became a chemistry professor, was recruited by the KJB, KJB, KGB, spent 10 years in the U.S. spying for the Russians, and ended up a United States citizen and information tech executive. Jack's story was featured on May of 2015 on CBS 60 Minutes. His memoir, Deep Undercover, was released in March of 17. The book has been translated into German, Swedish, and Polish. Jack has appeared frequently on U.S. cable stations such as CNN, Fox, and MSNBC, as well as all kinds of other places all over the world. He is truly a legend, and this interview, I will say, is probably one unlike he's done before because we get into all sorts of things that I haven't heard him speak of, at least in the interviews that I've listened to. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with the legend, Jack Barsky. Uh, well, Jack, I started off this week by talking to Marty Peterson, and I told her she was the first spy that I'm ever aware of that I've spoken to. You are now the second spy that I'm ever aware that I've spoken to. It is, it's an honor to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm okay. Uh, you know, uh, I, I really don't want to be known as a spy anymore, but, you know, it, it, it is what it is. You know, that's, that's uh, I uh, became quote-unquote famous. I'm not really, really famous, but, you know, I'm better known than most people, let's put it this way. Uh, and I can't get away from my past. And it was uh, 15 years of uh, KGB training and then operating uh, on behalf of the KGB. And the rest of my life is actually much, much more interesting than what happened up until that point. But that's to me. So why did you, why do you not want to be identified as a spy? That's interesting that you would say that. Say that again, please. Why, why do you not want to be identified as a spy anymore? Uh, that's not who I am. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, if, if I want one word that describes me really well, I'm a lover. A lover. Yeah. And if you know my story, uh, how I overcame the, the spy past it had to do with love for, for, for a child, right? And I'm, you know, I, I am all about love, giving love and hopefully getting it too. And that's, that's what, what makes us human, I believe. So you mentioned that you're only a spy for 15 years, but what you've done after is more interesting. Unpack that for me. What, what is more interesting? Well, it's, it's more interesting simply because uh, my past is, is like a key that opens a lot of doors. Mm -hmm. I get, I mean, I get to meet all kinds of different people. Uh, from all walks of life, uh, I can I can pick and choose now uh, my friends or you know the people that I want to associate myself with, as opposed to when I was 
uh, you know, I had a nine to five job. You, you get to meet the same people day in, day out, day in, day out. And when you leave the office, you don't have a whole lot of time to socialize because you've got a family to take care of and a property and all that. So that's why I'm saying it's much more interesting now. Uh, I don't want to start name dropping, uh, but believe me, uh, it's it's sort of in, in that respect, it's, it's a whole lot of fun being me. It, it's interesting because you are exponentially more famous than me. Um, but some people know me as a podcaster, right? And I'm like, yeah. I, I, and I go, well, you know, I do a lot of other things other than podcasts. I, I enjoy podcasting. I love podcasting. I'm not opposed to being known as a podcaster, but I have a lot of business interests as well. Um, and so you, you, I guess there is this human tendency to not necessarily be pigeonholed into yep. something, but, but also it's weird because being a podcaster um, has opened up um, doors for me where I've got to meet heads of state and stuff like that, uh, various business yeah. meetings. So I, I guess I, I, I can kind of on a much smaller scale be sympathetic to the fact that you are kind of <laughs> cast in this one light. But that one light also opens up all these other doors, but you don't want that to be the only thing that people appreciate about you. Yeah, you, you got that right. It's, uh, you know, you, you, you got a down pat. That's exactly how I feel about uh, self these days. And uh, it's my, my dedication nowadays to, to my family, my small family, my wife and my daughter. That's who I live for. That's who I love. And, um, and that's the end of that. You know, n nothing, nothing, nothing should could interfere with that yeah so being that you've kind of lived through so i was born in 85 for for perspective um <laughs> <laughs> right right right, I, right. I <laughs> help me understand how much the world has changed in my lifetime because only i can appreciate maybe you know in high school so 9 11 happened for me in high school um, but I really didn't, I didn't know what the twin towers were in high school. Like that was just a thing like, Oh, the twin yeah, towers. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, so even then I can't really fully appreciate some of the stuff. So help me maybe understand okay, how so the world's changed. You were, you were born, you were born during rather dangerous times. It was like the height of the cold war when, uh, we had multiple situations that could have, uh, uh exploded and become a nuclear disaster. Uh, so. And then we won. When I say we, the United States, NATO won the Cold War. And now we're sort of like uh, getting to a point where we are giving away that victory and uh, and defeating ourselves. So you mentioned the height of the Cold War. Um, I guess for me, the, the height of fear was after 9-11. Um, you know, yes. in, in, in America, I don't really feel too much fear. And, and so I have a hard time unpacking how to evaluate current world events as it pertains to legitimate versus false threats. Uh, as I sit here in America now, you know, different spots in the world, obviously uh, those threats might be more relevant, but as an American, um, it's kind of hard to, to really quantify, are there real threats for us out there? And you said we're kind of being eroded away. Could you unpack that some? Well, <laughs> I believe the real threat is us. We, the, the United States, is is becoming uh, a country of people who are full of fear of losing what they have and once once you you get to that point uh the united states was you know, became great because it was it was uh, 
there was always people who came here who were adventurers, who wanted to do new things, who wanted to, mm. you know, change their lives. Right now we are playing defense and that defense is not a good thing because, uh, you know, just look at the COVID situation. You know, we had, we had uh, uh, a significant percentage of people walking around with masks on in the park. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's fear. That's raw fear. Fear of the unknown. Uh, lack of understanding of uh, uh, of uh, of the world. Lack of the ability to reason. Uh, and that comes also out of school, the school system, because the uh, our school system doesn't teach people how to think anymore. So this is a lot of negatives. I'm not saying that this is this will be the end, but it's it's a it's a great danger. The danger is not coming from the outside; it's coming from within. Okay, and so one of the things that that I find interesting is talking to someone like yourself who grew up in uh, poverty and didn't have a yeah. lot. Just to put it to put it nicely, it, it seems uh, from hearing your story, um, then coming to the U.S. and then kind of converting to be one of us, as you say, as an, as American, not being a natural-born citizen, at least. Um, looking back, do you think that people, when you were young, were fearful, like some Americans were feel, fearful during COVID, or were they just brainwashed? Like, what would you, how would you compare and contrast people from your childhood? Well, you know, that's, an, that's an interesting question. Uh, we were somewhat afraid, but, but uh, you know, the, the brainwashing and the optimism that uh, radiated from the communist idea was very strong. We we knew that we were going to win this thing, and 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 conquer the world, and 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 make the world a nicer place for everybody who works. And you know, I for instance, I I, I give you a, a a glimpse into what it was to be a citizen of East Germany in those days. Uh, I I don't know exactly which Olympics it was, but it was I think it was the Olympics that uh, 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 took place in Canada. We, the East Germany with 17 million people beat the United States in medal count. Now, we didn't know that a lot of that had to do with doping and stuff like that, but you see, uh, we just knew that we would, we would conquer the world. Remember, uh, uh, I don't know if you remember, but the first satellite in space was a Soviet satellite. The first person in space was was a Soviet citizen. The first woman in space was Soviet. And then Kennedy came along, and uh, the first man on the moon was an American. <laughs> but it, it, you know, we 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 embraced that optimism that that comes with communist ideology. Uh, and uh, then it slowly but surely like uh, went south. But when it went south, I wasn't there anymore. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you say that. I was in China in 2019, in the fall of 2019, and, and they had a saying that, um, I can't remember how it goes, but something to the effect of, you know, uh, democracy is not as efficient as communism or communism is more, deficient than uh, more efficient than democracy yeah. or, or something like that. They had, they had this saying, and you look around, you see all these big buildings, you see these this huge yeah. infrastructure programs, and, and there's a sense in which they're right, but also it's they're, they're built upon a house of cards, right? It's like, okay, well, you could build a house of cards very quickly, but also it's not very sturdy. And so it could kind of create this false optimism, which is which is interesting to, to hear you say that, that that's kind of what the Soviets had uh, growing up as well. Democracy is messy. 
But collectivism denies the individual to become what they can become. And that's, that's uh, and interestingly enough, uh, uh, I, I was from, from, from childhood on, I was always an individualist. And, and I, I managed to sort of fit in to the system, uh, but I never really liked rules that came from above. <laughs> so, uh, and as a matter of fact, when, if the rules came from above, and that, that also applied when I was uh, operating in corporate America, I would uh, interpret the rules in such a way that they made sense to me. Very favorable, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so how does it go uh, in your mind? You said maybe you're a little bit more... Um, um, individualistic thinking coming to America, but how, how does that, that work, that mindset, that switch, because um, there's a big debate in the U S about, you know, how many people should be allowed in open borders, closed borders. There's a, a wide array of opinion. Um, and so some people will say open borders, let everyone in. Some people say, no, that people have to adopt the kind of the American mentality. Um, you said you, you came from a, you know, a communist kind of socialist regime. Yeah come over and you were, you changed your mentality. What are your thoughts on that? Like as from Americans, is that a legit concern that um, letting anyone in is a problem or no, 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 we have to be careful who we let in. We can't let the world in. Okay. Uh, the majority of people in, the, in this world live way be below the standard of living that we have. They would all want to come here if they could. It's not possible, you know. So when 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 you uh, <clears throat> when 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 they uh, make the announcements uh, uh, when when you're flying, and they're talking about you know the masks coming down, and it says you need to uh, first take care of yourself so you can take care of the children or the the dependents. Same applies here. I mean, uh, we, we 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 cannot be everything to everybody because that will waken us to a point when, when we descend into uh, the same situation that the people are fleeing from. And so how do, we, how do you balance that? Because um, these, these, these people from various nations have very standards of living. A lot of them, a lot of them are sub-US standard, as you mentioned. Um, but if they want to be kind of the, the Wild West kind of, you know, get up and, and, and go and make something of themselves. Um, that's, that is part of the American ethos, but, but also there is a sense in which if you are, um, you know, if you come from a more socialistic background that you might not adopt kind of that mentality when you get here. So, but you, you did adopt it. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how did you get work through that in your own mind? Well, uh, I, uh, I learned from, from early on that, I sort of have the ability to uh, at least influence my destiny. You know, I was born in, in, a, in a most backward corner of East Germany, and I got out of there step by step by step because I was a good student. And, and not only, you know, it's one thing to be bright, it's another thing to apply yourself or work my ass off, okay? And, 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 it, and it, it worked. And when I came to the United States, I started all over again. You know, I started as a bike messenger and then I worked my ass off. I, I studied and, uh, 
and even became an executive. Uh, not everybody has this mentality, okay? And and that doesn't make the people who who seem who think that they're more dependent any worse. They're still good people, but you, you, there has to be some kind of a balance between the ones that create the wealth and the ones that mostly consume. And right now, if, if you have open borders and, and let everybody in, the consumers of, of, of wealth will overwhelm the, the, the creators. Going through this process of you know, coming to the U.S., kind of rethinking, you know, so the propaganda you're taught, how hard do you think it is or how hard was it maybe for you to um, talk to people from your childhood or uh, other KJB, KGB agents or whomever and is like, hey, guys, we're missing the boat here. Like, like can't you see how great <laughs> this is? I didn't have a chance to actually have that conversation until after I became uh, a, a U.S. citizen and was able to travel back. We hung out together. We we hitchhiked uh, down to Bulgaria together when nobody else did that. So, so we just lived really, really dug each other. And if, quite frankly, he's pro he was probably smarter than me, but I... I had better study habits. Anyway, he became he, he became the head of the forgery department for the Stasi, uh, Stasi's East German secret police. So him and I, we were absolutely one one thousand percent communists. So when when uh, I met him again, we were still friends, but he hadn't been able to say goodbye to the communist ideal. It's still in him because you know when you this is the what what you are learning when you're very young uh, is very very difficult to overcome, and it's interestingly enough, if another friend uh, who knows both of us would uh, just uh, just complained about my friend Günther supporting Vladimir Putin of all people, as as compared to the United States, uh, so there there is this. <laughs> You know, this this is just like a dialogue uh, that uh, that is difficult to have and may not necessarily result in everybody sort of agreeing to a one truth. Yeah, and see, to me, that's what's fascinating because you, I would think that if you were in you know um, Soviet Russia um, during the Cold War. You're told all this stuff, how you're going to change the world. Um, of course, there's food line yeah. and people starving. Um, and then once you get a glimpse of the U.S. and you go, oh, wait, 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 they're not starving. They've got cars. They've got refrigerators. They've got food. It's hard for me to understand why people don't start to question uh, the whole system. Uh, uh, yeah, well, we you rationalize this away, okay? So, again, you, you grow up with a particular ideology which you hang on to. Uh, as, as much as possible, and so one of the one of the reasons we were given uh, that uh, the the Western countries, uh, the United States, West Germany, and so forth, were doing better, is because they were, were imperialists. They stole all the riches from third world countries, and you you were stealing the bananas from Guatemala and uh, and whatever. Uh, riches you could get out of Africa. You know, there, there wasn't a lot of depth to that thinking, but it, it, it helped us, me, rationalize for a long time why 
I was still serving a good cause. And so you talk about love earlier. Um, is, is love kind of the thing needed to kind of break people from their old ideologies, whatever they may be? No, no <laughs> love cannot, does not exist in a vacuum. You know, you need to also know what you love and, and you need to have a, a, uh, an understanding that, you know, love can be misplaced as well. It can be a passion for the wrong stuff. Uh, but, you know, you probably, I don't know, you probably know that I'm a Christian. And so the, the Christian kind of love, the love of Christ is the one that I'm, that, that I'm thinking is, uh, is, is key to uh, be, becoming, being a good human being. Love thy neighbor like you love yourself. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have passion for everybody. It means that, you know, you treat everybody with respect and, uh, and treat them, treat them the way you would, would want to be treated. I've joked before that, uh, I find it funny that Martin Luther, when he converted, he married a nun. And so he kind of got the Catholic, the Roman Catholic church on kind of both fronts. Like not only did he, leave, he married a nun, you as being a former, um, communist, you are now a religious person, which is kind of getting them on both ends because I'm, you were probably taught there was no God, very much an atheistic mindset, if I had to guess. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I knew uh, up until not too long ago, I knew that uh, Christians are just stupid, uh, weak people <laughs> until, until I got to know some Christians who were neither stupid nor weak. Okay. And, uh, and once you start looking into, into Christianity and, and the folks that uh, historically were Christians, like you said, there's a lot of science, there's a lot of deep thinking, uh, and ultimately uh, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of reason why I am now a Christian. It's not, it's not just belief, it's not like la-di-da-di-da. Um, so, um, because nobody Nobody who outside of, of religion can understand, can explain the world. Mm -hmm. Think about it. Uh, <laughs> the Big Bang is something that, uh, that nobody disputes anymore. So, okay, so there was nothing and all of a sudden something exploded and then started organizing itself to become what we see here and also uh, uh, get to a point where, where you have thinking brains. How does that work? That, that's against all laws of physics. So there has to be some other force in there that, that made that happen. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at now. And uh, um, uh, that, that's, uh, you, you, nobody will, will move me away from that, uh, that position. Were there religious people um, in your neighborhood area growing up? Uh, yes, but, uh, very few and they, for instance, I had a classmate who became a pastor later in life. I had no idea that he was a Christian. He that was in high school. Uh, I had a, uh, a fellow student with whom I, who was a roommate for a little while who openly, uh, confessed that he was Catholic. Uh, but we never got really engaged in, in, a, in some kind of a discussion. Uh, interestingly enough, I actually was instrumental in allowing him to get his doctorate and he's still a good friend. Uh, you know, I, I had to actually, 
<clears throat> convince the rulers that he was okay. He would, you know, he would, uh, he would be a good citizen. Uh, but again, I never got uh, any, we didn't have that kind of a discussion. I mean, we, here's the thing, uh, we didn't even have in high school or college a single subject that talked about religions of the world, just academically, nothing. We, we were bombarded with Marxism, Leninism, and that was it. So I guess one of the things that I've thought about leading up to this interview um, was kind of going through life um, even you know during your 15 years as a spy, but then post-spy, um, I'm sure you have a good ability to kind of probe people to get their thoughts, to get what they really think from them, and then also to kind of manipulate them. Um, you mentioned kind of this role of religion that's come in your life. Did you, you know, were there, have there been points where you were curious maybe during your 15 years or post-15 years where you, um, you were sitting there trying to figure out, okay, like, is no, you cut out when you said something. I'm, I'm, you said I'm, I'm sure you had the kind of ability, and that's when uh, okay. sound disappeared. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I was thinking thinking about leading into this interview was, um, you know, being a spy, uh, having that kind of training. Um, I, I'm sure that's helped you over the years, during your 15 years and post 15 years, to be able to probe people in unique ways and ask them certain questions that maybe they didn't realize that, hey, this guy's actually, <laughs> he's, he's got the left hand up, but it's actually the right hand I should work for. You talk about this kind of discovering of Christianity. Um, were there times where you kind of used those skill sets to find out, hey, are these people crazy? Is this really what they believe? Um, to kind of press them without them knowing it. <sighs> you know, uh, the way I became a Christian was, a, was rather systematic. And uh, quite early on, the this is my wife who evangelized me, introduced me to a Christian apologetics. And always having been a logical person, I really bought into the logic of C.S. Lewis, for instance. So I didn't really have to like ask a whole bunch of people about their beliefs. I just understood the logic behind it. And, uh, and eventually, uh, you know, I, I also understood the, the spiritual component, but my my head had to lead without, without, without my logic, I, without logic, I wouldn't be a Christian today. So part of the thing that, that strikes me there is you talked about your academics and I've heard you talk about that in other interviews. Um, or were you kind of the, the normal person um, who, you know, went through the, the communist um, regime and was really interested really learned? Did, did, did they produce a lot of people like you or were you kind of abnormal? Uh, in, in a sense, I was abnormal because uh, uh, I aced everything in school. You know, I, I was valedictorian in high school, and and I and in college I got a scholarship, uh, a national scholarship that was uh, to a point where I, where I was like already part of the ruling elite. Okay, if I if I hadn't. Uh, um, uh, said yes to the KGB, I would have eventually most likely wound up in government uh, in East Germany and then eventually also figured out that it wasn't exactly what we thought it was. Because, you know, I, <clears throat> a couple of my <clears throat> uh, high school friends wound up in government and 
pretty much were disillusioned because, you know, uh, folks were lying to one another with regard to achievements. Everybody blew, blew things out of proportion and went underneath. The system was pretty fragile. Uh, I'm going off on a tangent here, but, uh, you know, the, the question was, was I normal? No, not even close. Okay, so you're, you're a little bit abnormal growing up, at least in, in a good way, right? Uh, a very excellent student. Um, yeah. that's, kind of, that's kind of shaped your, your life. Um, I think I've heard you talk about um, all the Western books that you had to read to go through training. Um, how important do you think it is? You talk about this, this shift in the U.S. So you were an abnormal student, which allowed you opportunity, which allowed you to come to the U.S. Um, and then you've been kind of an avid reader and, study, uh, and studied your whole life, it seems. Um, yes. is, is that something that we've lost in society today? I believe so. <clears throat> um, <laughs> the American school system, particularly <clears throat> in uh, you know elementary, uh, middle school, high school, is has been focused primarily on facts, not reason, not you know uh, the point counterpoint kind of thing, and it 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 got worse. I mean, let me tell you something. <clears throat> uh, the, the school system in East Germany uh, was widely known, even after the war came down, as one of the best, period. And I never knew that there can be an exam that's, that has nothing but true and false or multiple choice. We had nothing but essays or, you know, in math, uh, you know, formulas to do and stuff like that. So we were, uh, we were like imbued in the scientific method and unfortunately, in, in the American school system, that, that is not the case until maybe you get to college. And nowadays, uh, even college has uh, gotten to a point where belief systems are more important than, than questioning what the belief systems are. Yeah, yeah. And to me, that's what I find interesting is this kind of reemergence of socialism, communism um, in popular culture. And, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting because one of the periods of history I've enjoyed studying recently is kind of this 60s, 70s, 80s, um, because listen, the U.S. was doing a lot of interesting and sometimes bad things, and of course you have the the Soviets out there, and you kind of have all these proxy wars are being fought. Um, at the end of the day, though, it's weird that a system that in you know whatever you say about capitalism, but but communism is to basically create these drones that kind of work through the system uh, and kind of grind their way to um, um, you know. To be workers their whole life it is really re-emerging, especially in the age of uh, you know, 2022, when you can just about do whatever you want to do with the age of the internet. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> when we say drones, yeah, it's <clears throat> one of the things I like to say, and I, I want to be careful not to be misunderstood, but America today is either fat, dumb, and happy, or fat, dumb, and angry. Why am I saying fat? Because we are a massively overweight country, and we, we gained uh, millions of pounds during COVID. Uh, dumb because we, we, have, we, we don't know how to think anymore, and the happiness comes to when you're entertained and you know, you, 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 you get, uh, you know, you get your joy out of the internet, you do TikTok, this, that, and the other, uh, or angry, 
because we are also an angry nation. We constantly complain about everything. It's, it's not a good picture. And I, I don't like to be negative uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm at heart, I'm an optimist, but I'm looking at the situation. It doesn't look good. Let me just one, one, put one caveat in here. I have a, 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 a whole lot of good friends who are neither fat, nor dumb, nor angry, nor just happy. Okay, so, so you, you can still find a, uh, a circle of friends and family with whom you can have meaningful interaction rather than just, you know, being passive and being entertained and, and, and then complaining about uh, uh, why it's not working really well. So help you, you talk about kind of this, this um, dichotomy of people in the U.S. And, and part of the thing that, that I find quite fascinating, um, whether people are on the right or on the left, is um, the inability to see through propaganda. It, 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 today, it, you would think it would be quite easier to see through propaganda. Obviously, this kind of connects with some of the your your past, um, wanting to kind of influence think tanks and whatnot. How how why is it? Is it is this what you said earlier that people they come up young, they kind of believe something, they can't turn from it? It would seem today that at, this would be the best time in human history to see through the propaganda from the top down. But it sometimes I wonder how much progress we made on that front. No, we. I think it has something to do with the human condition. You see. Uh, uh, we at one point develop a particular belief system and uh, it, it, there is there's cognitive dissonance if some 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 stuff comes at us that doesn't fit into that belief system so we reject it or we uh, find a way to like twist it in such a way that it fits because it makes us uncomfortable if I believe, you know, and then this is this happened with communism, where people who believed in communism had had the hardest time to get rid of it, and and now, <clears throat> excuse me, we have this on the left and on the right, where the, you have these extremes. On the right, there's this conspiracy theories. On the left, there's, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, and 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 we don't. <clears throat> once we uh, have uh, are captive to a particular ideology, it's very, very difficult to get to get out of it because, again, this requires us to <clears throat> question our beliefs, which makes it uncomfortable. I think that's the human condition, and I don't think that's going to change no matter how much technology uh, we have and how, many, how much information we, we uh, have at our fingertips. And, oh, by the way, <sighs> information isn't objective either. Even what you observe is an objective. You know that, uh, you know, they, <clears throat> in, a, in a criminal system, uh, in a justice system, uh, you know, eyewitnesses uh, are very often the most unreliable uh, um, uh, pr proof of, of something that happened or didn't happen. It's a human condition. Well, okay. So let me, I, I agree with that in part, but also, um... Part of your kind of goal when you came to the U.S. was to influence think tanks, and these think tanks seem to have persuasion, or at least you guys thought they had persuasion in culture. Do you think think tanks and these big groups are able to influence culture, or was that something that maybe the the Russians were were wrong about? I'm not sure I understand what what that has to do with the Russians, because think tanks themselves are uh, are somewhat ideological. Okay. Uh, you, you got your right wing think tanks, you got your left wing 
and the, the both of them don't meet. If they did, that'd be great. But uh, they're they're fighting with one another. So so and and now it depends upon who you trust and who you believe in. I, I, and I don't know how this sort of uh, ties back into Russia and the Soviet Union. Well, well it, right. My understanding was that when you came over, y'all were trying to influence the think tanks. And so it would seem that if you're trying to influence the think, think tanks, you're trying to change Americans' public perception on whatever issues it is. So my, I guess my question is, is looking back, do you think that was kind of a, a wasted effort, if you will, because to your point? Oh, absolutely. It was a wasted effort because it, the uh, the foundation of, of communism was uh, was basically, basically uh, uh, clay and uh, we know that history, at least from an from a standard of living point of view, from the economics point of view, uh, communism just failed miserably, and it has something to do with the fact that it does it did not uh, allow people to go out and and be creative and do their own thing and do stuff that is not necessarily prescribed from above so so economically communism failed and so the, <clears throat> and, and that, that's all there is to it now the ideology still persists but that's kind of silly you know when you look at what happened uh, based on that ideology how how these how, how our our countries failed all of them that's interesting yeah i, I think um just I wouldn't plan, <laughs> I didn't plan on going into the human ideology today. So uh, I'm thinking through some of this stuff and how it pertains to propaganda because, you know, it, it's, you know, you have these think tanks and some of these think tanks, I would argue, are strictly propaganda machines. They're not even trying to put out yeah. all of it information. And so that, that's part of the problem. You have the news, which is part of the problem. You have the, the politicians are part of the problem. Um, and, and, and I think on some level, I've always joked that, uh, that people, if you look at a poll, it'll say, you know, like 20% of Americans like politicians or something like that. And I always joke that um, <laughs> when they, when they, when they, when they answer that poll, they don't have the person that they voted for in mind. They have the other guy in mind. They don't like the other guy. Oh, absolutely. Person. Yes. Right. But if Americans actually were to not like their own candidates, we might actually make some progress, but we can't. And it, it's, that to me is, is so striking. Um, and, and part of it is, um, if you look at how countries run, whether it's the Soviets in the Cold War or the US, there is this big propaganda movement to have a very much an allegiance to the top-down state organization. Um, and this allegiance to the state um, makes it kind of hard to cut through the propaganda because you ultimately believe that if you could put the right person in, then you could change the state. So it's not a, it's not a communist, um, it's not unique to communism. All countries seem to yeah. have a believe in the state and just put the right person in and we can fix the state. I don't believe there's a good solution for mankind. Uh, I used to uh, be an avid reader of uh, science fiction and it's interesting, the, the best science fiction authors uh, actually proved to be rather prophetic. You know, it started with Jules Verne who put a man on the moon, right? Uh, and uh, it, it, my two favorites were Isaac Asimov and uh, uh, Frank Herbert. <laughs> and both of them predicted that the future of mankind will be a big empire with a ruling elite and everybody else underneath, just like being the little minions that do what they do. 
I, I think that that may well happen. Uh, it's going to take a while, uh, as long as we don't, uh, you know, kill one another, which is also a, a possibility with that war in Ukraine going on and, and, and this crazy nutcase Putin uh, uh, being in command of half the nuclear arsenal on the planet. Yeah, you bring up Ukraine. Let's let's talk about that for just half a second here. Um, maybe unpack a little bit of that of, of that conflict. Not not what's going on like right now on the ground, but um, some thoughts about you know Ukraine and Russia and kind of how they've been intertwined and kind of separated. Because in the West, it, it, it seems hard for us to kind of grasp how some of those Soviet bloc nations um, think about Russia, especially the closer you get to the border. Um, and so, it, it, to me, as an outsider looking in, it looks like the closer you get to the Russian border, there's probably some more uh, people who are sympathetic to Russia, the further you get away. So is that is that a true statement that maybe Ukraine's a little bit more divided than in the West we would think, or is that just propaganda? Oh, you bet. You, you bet. You know, just, we, there's this, uh, this myth that has been developed now by uh, Western propaganda that, that Ukraine is fighting for democracy. Ukraine is not a democratic country. They had elections, but but when you look at uh, the 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 Zelensky is worth several hundred million dollars. Okay, so he, he you know you gotta admire the guy. He's he he is extremely brave, and uh, that that's that's amazing. But you know part of this is because he's an he's an actor and he's playing the role of his life. Uh, but but don't. We think that if Ukraine wins, all of a sudden democracy will flash up uh, in the eastern uh, part of, of Europe. No, uh, we just like, you know, obviously it, what Putin has done and what Russia has done is invading another country. I, there's no justification for that. Okay. But, but you know, we, we, we like to always like, uh, you know, black and white, good, bad. Uh, Orange men bad, uh, Biden good. We, we don't like shades of gray. And the same thing is with the situation in, 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 in Ukraine and Russia right now. This, this, is, this is all very, very, very gray. And there's evil all over the place. There's, there's a, lot, a lot of evil to, to, to go around, unfortunately. And it's, 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 it's horrible. You mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that um, sitting where we sit in the U.S. that you're only afraid of, you know, what we're going to do to ourselves. So do you think that that means that Putin um, is not going to try to roll across Europe, Hitler style, uh, that this is a very much limited thing? Or do you think he has? No, no, he can't. He, no, no, he can't. He doesn't have the strength. Uh, he does not have the strength. The, the only the only reason we, we have to worry about Putin and Russia is that, that nuclear arsenal, other than that, uh, if, if, if Putin doesn't have the nuclear weapons, you know, they're, they're an insignificant power with uh, number 12 in gross national product yeah. in the world behind Italy. Uh, they, the, the only thing that they have is natural resources. <clears throat> Russia has never produced anything uh, that they could export, like, you know, stuff that you make. Uh, the, the Russian uh, economy economy up until Stalin was mostly agricultural and then Stalin um, and, uh, 
industrial forced industrialization, but he did that with peasants, and there was just not an organic growth the same way it happened in 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 Western Europe and in the United States. So Russianism, nothing with two exceptions, they they got natural resources and they got nuclear weapons. So so Putin is aging, um, and so what are your thoughts? Um, you know, do you think that a, a Russia will look for a, no, a new Putin-like leader whenever he steps down, or is it a chance that maybe that um, you'll, you, we'll see a little bit of change? Because you hear- you got to understand one thing: Putin is just uh, you know the, the the figurehead, the, the the head the head of Russia. You you, you think the people underneath him, the, the the next layer, is any different? What let just let's for argument's sake that Putin. Uh, uh, becomes very old, needs to step down. What's going to happen is there will, will be a struggle for power and a new dictator will emerge. That system is sick to the core and it cannot be healed anytime soon because you, you know that uh, uh, Putin has, has been uh, over 50% in the polls. In, in Russia, since he became he he he, he got got the power, he and his his coterie were able to brainwash Russia the same way uh, you know the communist leadership uh, brainwashed us, and that and it's an, it's another belief system where the, well, the the majority of Russians know that they are under siege from the West and that they have to you know, have to uh, def- defend themselves from. From the uh, forces that are coming at them, period. Yeah, so they, yeah. there's there's no there's no good outcome. See that that I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you study like China or Russia or North Korea, you know, they always are ha- and and the, our own government does this too. But they're always creating these enemies that are out there. That if you don't have us to yeah. protect you, you're going to die because these people are like the Mongols at the gate, ready to bust through and kill you all. Um, and you need us to protect you. Um, and the U.S. foreign policy plays right into that hand over and over and over again. And it's stunning because like, yeah. we, we just continually feed the fuel for this. Yeah, the, the expansion of NATO close to the Russian border was probably not the greatest idea. Uh, because that just, as you, as you said, that fuel, that, that paranoia that that is uh, intrinsic to the Russian uh, mentality because historically Russia <clears throat> has been invaded from the north, the south, the east, and the west, uh, uh, and and so that's part of the that's part of the uh, Russian national character. I lived in Moscow for two years. Okay, I didn't have a lot of interaction with Russians, but I watched a lot of TV, and I understand the culture, and I understand the. The, the Russian soul that is uh, that is still primarily a soul that uh, that that is rooted in in, in agriculture and in in uh, in the connection to Mother Earth and Mother Russia. It is what it is. Okay, you have um, you're just a, like you know. I said I was born eighty five. You're like two or three years older than me, so you've you've not seen that much more of life than me. Just 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 slightly older, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So, what um, you- and, and you know, and I have my opinions, and uh, they may 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 not be uh, 
close to the truth, but they're my opinions, and they're based on a lot of, uh, you know, experience and observation. Right. Uh, no, no, no. Where I was going, that is, is that I was saying, I don't like to date my, I don't like to date my, my guests. So I'm, I'm going to say this, you're a few years older than me. Um, but for the, for the sake of, for the sake of conversation, uh, what do you think are the biggest changes to the world that we might see in the next hundred years? Because you have lived through an era that I didn't live through. Obviously you've seen all kinds of changes. Oh my God. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a prophet, but I, I indicated that, uh, I'm sort of going with, uh, uh, you know, some of the best science fiction writers that uh, there will be some kind of world government, whether that's an empire or an oligarchy or whatever. Uh, this is where it's going, uh, and 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 it has again to to me it has something to do with human nature. There there will always be people who are smart and who are arrogant and who think that they're better than the rest of us. And uh, that means they need to rule and make, make the world a happy place for everybody else. We have this streak right now in the, in the United States, uh, primarily on the, uh, on the left. And, and that's, that's not going to change. Uh, and, you know, and see, the, the founders of, uh, of the United States, uh, when, when they constructed the Constitution, they, they were aware of, of that tendency of man to be that way. And, and what they built was a construct that actually would avoid uh, the establishment of an, of an unfettered ruling class. I don't know if the constitution will survive and I don't, there's no other country that has a constitution like ours but with the separation of powers. So uh, I, I, again, the answer is I believe there was gonna be some kind of a world government down the road today i've enjoyed this You're where can we send people to find out more about you or what you have going on and uh, uh okay so uh you know my uh primarily nowadays i'm uh i'm pointing them to my uh audio documentary a podcast it's a 12-part series based on my life it's called the agent you can uh get to it on all major streaming audio platforms now there's also the book out, but uh, you know this. Uh, uh, it takes a lot longer to read the book uh, and, and the content. Actually, the podcast is is I think is better than the book because the book is just my view of uh, what happened. In, in in that podcast, there's a dozen other people who who chime in based on you know the, the role that they played in my my life and their view. So it's 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 multidimensional. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, I must tell you that this was a rather difficult interview for me to do because you asked a lot of deep questions that, that I normally don't get. I don't know if I should say sorry or thank you. Or... No, 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 no. It's just like I really had to whew, think hard. And uh, when, when we're done, I'm going to just uh, take a cold shower and and refresh myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and that is my talk with Jack Barsky. Just want you to know we had a little bit of technical difficulty there, so I tried to clean it up best I could, but it is what it is. By the way, if you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to leave us a five-star review in iTunes. And with that, we'll talk to you soon.